Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 571 with Carol Huntsberger. We're never given more than we can handle. And we are usually all at the right place at the right time with the right information. And we just have to dig into our hearts and find it. That we're really prepared for the things that are coming our way. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cashflow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. And with excitement, allow me to introduce <laughs> to you today's guest, Carol Huntsberger. Carol, my girl, are you feeling unstoppable today? Unstoppable. <laughs> yes, that's what I like to hear. So uh, in 2003, Paul and Carol Huntsberger purchased quality seafood from Sam Eves. Under Paul and Carol, the restaurant blossomed from a fried food kitchen into a place where families could gather to enjoy fresh seafood. In 2010, Carol became the sole proprietor of quality seafood under the leadership of Carol Huntsberger quality seafood market has continued to expand its walls, added private dining room, oyster grill, food truck, and has grown its offsite catering department. You're doing a lot of great things here, Carol. I can't wait to dive into your story and to find out how you've evolved quality seafood over the past since 2003. What is that? Uh, 15 years now. Yeah. It's going to be a great story. Yeah. But let's, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? My mantra is what you think about is what you bring about. What you think about is what you bring about. Dive into that. Why does that resonate with you? It just resonates with me that you've got to wake up feeling good and positive every day. And in the morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is I think just bring it on. Bring me all the bad stuff because I want to go home with a completed list of items. You know, just bring yeah. on the bad. Let us get it figured out while we've got the energy and end the day on a positive note. You know, sometimes I feel like we can get so caught up in the details of little things. We get lost in our own world, right? And we think it's so stressful. It's so bad. But when we just stop and kind of take a few steps back and look at the, the big picture, it's not bad. I mean, like it could be so much worse. If we focus on the good, life is just that much better. Oh, right? you know, life is what we make out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's the bad stuff's going to happen. I mean, shit happens, right? It, does. <laughs> it just, it it's going to happen. And so, I don't know, just that's why I bring it on, you know, just kind of bring it on and let me get through it. And um, I learned 
through just a woman's group that I was in, we're never given more than we can handle. Mm. And we are usually all at the right place at the right time with the right information. And we just have to dig into our hearts and find it, that we're really prepared for the things that are coming our way. I dig it, sister. I really do. This is a great way to get this thing started. So uh, where does the story kind of start from you? I, I know you got involved in 2003, but what were you doing before Quality Seafood to, to set you up for the success? So I was a stay-home mom who okay. played tennis three or four days a week, nice. and I sold Mary Kay Cosmetics. <laughs> I was a free car driver with Mary Kay um, and just did sales. I just had, I had a lovely life. I mean, just a real simple, um, just happy-go-lucky kind of world. It's also proof that uh, literally anybody can get into this business, right? And uh, you don't have to go work for the Michelin star restaurants. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to go to the, the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America right. to do well in this industry. You can kind of just put your head down and, and learn as you go. And it sounds like that's kind of like what you did, right? Well, I feel like I was really fortunate. I have an accounting degree from college. Okay. And so I think that that business side helped me with this because I certainly, the business was failing. So when you looked at quality seafood, not as a restaurant, but as a business, the business was beginning to fail. Um, just they weren't, Sam Eves wasn't managing things the way that he could have and he wasn't growing the business. And I think mostly he was just burnt out. You know what I mean? So it just, it just happened that he was burnt out. So I, I feel like we should probably do a fast forward version of the history of quality seafood just to kind of set the listeners up because this, this business has been around since like 80 years, 80 years, 80 There's years, a ton of history in this business. 81 it's, it's, next January. It's passed hands a few times. Do you want to just give like a fast forward version of the, the history? Sure. It started out as on a, at a vegetable stand, a farmer's market, which is funny that that's now the whole trend in America yeah. is back at the farmer's market, but that's where quality seafood started. Um, of course, being here in Austin, a seafood store was very landlocked at the time. So you, you didn't buy seafood at um, the grocery store. Do you know what I mean? You bought it at a stand or from somebody off the side of the road 81 years ago. Mm-hmm. So they drove down, picked up fish, brought it back. and um, How long of a drive is that? It's about a four-hour, depending on where you're going. Okay. Four to eight hours if you're going really far south Texas coast. And so. this every morning? So they would do probably two or three times a week. Okay, gotcha. Two or three times a week. The fish is actually... Fish stays much fresher longer than most people think that it does. It depends on how it's held and handled. But um, then it changed hands a couple of times. There was a story that um, one of the owners lost his um, portion, his percentage of the business in a... um, gambling in a card game i believe it. um so yeah i mean three all (laughs) kinds of times you never know so um i fortunately have met different members of each of the families of the past owners so it's been really fun at our 75th anniversary we had all of them come here and um so it was really cool to see the foundation of all the past owners of what they've done and their families and their families to tell stories of you know what it was like when their families owned quality seafood. So it was Sam Eve, right? Eve? Sam Eves. Uh-huh. Sam Eves who owned it before you. Where did he take it before you took over? So Sam and his brother um, came, had family roots and ties to Alaska. And so Sam really kind of changed the picture of how seafood was coming into Austin. For the most part, it had always been trucked in. Um, and so he began to fly seafood in and Sam was very visionary. So this is 93, I think yeah. when he took over. So this is when, uh, the, the, the big chef scene really started to take, 
take foothold in America and you're getting people, you can get food from anywhere, right? From, right. From right. lobster from Maine or salmon from Alaska. And people wanted that. They expected it. Right. So right. he capitalized on that. He trend. totally capitalized on being able to get that stuff here in Austin um, because typically all the seafood places were on the coast, right? Yeah. I mean, where you could get the fish go out and you knew the fishermen and you, they still do. I mean, they can still walk out and greet the fishermen at the dock and pick their fresh cat, fresh catch of the day. You know what I mean? And take it right back to the restaurant. So That's we're awesome. not quite as, as easy to do that, but we do have some fishermen that'll drive back and forth and they, That's they cool. bring in some fish and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. So, uh, where did, he, where was he by the time he was ready to sell it? What was paint that picture where we were there? Um, you know, Austin was just kind of changing. We'd been through 9-11. We had a lot of issues just nationally and, and the way people were feeling. And people were home. I mean, people were really dedicated to being at home. And I think Sam, um, he was just kind of on the burnout. It was hard. It's hard. You know, this industry is hard to always recreate yourself all the time. And that's mm-hmm. it. You constantly have to do that. And I think, um, you know, when you think about what seafood is, it's a luxury item uh, in 2001 was 9-11, right? Yeah. I mean, that's when uh, the, the economy started to change. People started getting a little bit more safe with their money. And it's the, the luxury items that are the right. first to go. So right. maybe that part probably, I'm assuming that played into it. Oh, it did. And then also just the onset of seafood being available now in every grocery store. Yeah. You know, at one time, you, you couldn't find seafood at the grocery store. You know, you, you got meat and chicken, but you went See, to a seafood in, market. I was born in 85, so it's hard for me to remember because I would have been around this time, like in my later i wouldn't have been going to the grocery store to, to purchase anything i was just kind of like in the stroller with my mom so right uh keep going sorry yeah but i mean so was you've watched that change and then it was just a couple stores but yeah seafood has always been a luxury but it's also a really important part of a lot of heart healthy diets so and a lot of people grew up if they've grown up on the coast um a lot of traditional Family dishes at holidays are seafood related. I know that. The seven fish, I'm Italian. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get that for sure. Yeah. Uh, so there's Christmas. a lot of seafood that is totally that way. I mean, yeah. from salt cod and the way that, you know, people eat. And food is a memory. Mm. The holidays, people gathered around the table is a memory. It's just always something about the food and the wine, right? That just creates the atmosphere of the event, no matter what it is. And it's just the, it's the feel good part because we need food for the nourishment of our bodies, but also for our brains and for our souls, you know? And so flavors and tastes and it's all a part of the memory. You know, you can close your eyes and you can smell yeah. You know, the Feast of the Seven Fishes. You know what that <laughs> yeah. smells like when you walk in the front door, right? Yeah. You don't even have to ask what's for dinner. You know, there's just something about, and it's not even just seafood, but all foods. You I know, you it. just know. Awesome. So we, I think we painted a good picture of what was going on with quality seafood before you came on scene. Let's kind of paint the picture more now of, uh, you said you have the background of accounting. You think that helped. What else were you doing in your life before this opportunity came on your plate uh, that set you up for success? Probably just a can-do attitude, you know, and the thirst for knowledge, Mm. always wanting to learn things. So I was really fortunate when I came here to Quality Seafood, I didn't know anything about fish. So, um, well, I knew I liked it. You know, I liked to eat it, and I was happy when someone else prepared it. But I honestly didn't cook very much fish at home, shrimp, you know, simple stuff that people do. But um, I went down to the coast. 
I got on a shrimp boat. Nice. Um, I got on a boat where they're catching drum. Um, I went out on a lobster boat. Um, I went to the fish farms in Alaska where they farm our Atlantic salmon. I've been to Idaho to the trout farms where they farm raise those products. Um, I've been down to the redfish farms and palacious. I've seen our oyster beds. So I've gotten to travel and really get to see what the seafood's about. I've watched um, people pick crabs and how they baby them and care for them when they're, when they're growing them, you know, before they put them back in the water. And it's just, it's a fascinating industry. And seafood is so much different in a lot of ways. I mean, chicken is chicken and you you have different grades, obviously, yeah. of chicken and what you feed them. But a chicken, and there's different kinds of chicken, but it's chicken. Yeah. At the end of the day, but in fish, you've got snapper and you've got redfish yeah. and you've got farm raised products and you've got wild caught halibut and you know so diverse. It's so diverse and from every price point, from king crab legs to your passion's really coming out. I'm <laughs> loving this. I've never seen somebody so passionate about uh, seafood. Uh, it's so great. So where when you came on scene paint that picture of what how this opportunity came presented itself to you uh what that that felt like when you had this opportunity what the conversation with your husband looked like deciding whether or not you should do this i mean why you even did this like set that up okay so brutal honest truth at the end of the first year i didn't work here the first year i um was looking at some of the books and i got a phone call from sam eve's wife linda who stayed to keep books and work with um, Paul and she said Carol we can make payroll or we can pay the fish company but we can't do both Mm. what do you what do you want to do and I said well where's Paul what are you guys doing and she said he's not here right now and I've got to make a decision so I called a friend of mine at the bank she did a line of credit and I came to work at quality seafood so my honest goal at that time was to turn it around enough to sell it and get out because I realized this probably wasn't something that I really wanted to do. (laughs) Well, here you are today, 15 years later. So something uh, happened. Something turned. So in that year, I'm trying to really, that first year, I came to work um, in 2005 and just really getting to meet the people of the industry. You know, meeting, I'm so fortunate here at Quality because it's not just about our restaurant, but it's meeting the chefs and the people that cook in Austin. And so I was very fortunate to meet a lot of the chefs that were buying seafood from Quality Seafood and learning from them and hearing what they were talking about in the restaurant industry and what their needs were. So it was really just trying to connect with the people and having relationships with them. Do you know what I mean? It's, yes. I know who they are and I've met their wives. I know about their children. Um, in our retail department, I started a newsletter and I talked about my lack of experience with seafood and, and shared very personal things about my life so people could feel like they knew who I was and they could relate to me and building those relationships through the restaurant, being in the restaurant and shaking hands and talking to people and just being aware kind of my surroundings. So I fell in love though. Um, it was kind of interesting just meeting people and hearing their stories of when they were a little kid, they came here with their dad and their grandma every Friday to buy whatever kind of fish it was that their family. And so just knowing that there was a connection more than just to the fish, it was to the people mm. and the memories of these families. And so it kind of became my goal then that I, I was given something 
that had history and somehow I now was responsible for taking it forward, you know, making it grow and letting it be a, a bigger part of more people's lives. Yeah. And the big things I just pull from what you just share with us uh, is at the end of the day, this, this industry is about relationships and you knew that instinctually from the very beginning. You started forming those relationships. The first thing you did, you mentioned you went and you started talking to all the different purveyors and you just started developing relationships. And the other part I loved about your story is the brutal honesty, uh, just being truthful, just being real and, uh, relationships and honesty will get you so far in this world. <laughs> and the people that, that, that do really well in this industry, they know that. And they're about as brutally honest and real and all about the people as it gets. So I love that part of your story up to this point. Thanks. Uh, so it sounds kind of like Paul was losing interest and he kind of transitioned out slowly. Is that safe to say? Yeah, he, um, he had worked for big companies and... Um, Honestly, Paul was used to having a great big um, check to travel. You know, they paid his travel unlimited money, you know. And so he had this mindset that he could write everything off to the company. So we had to change that mindset. So he wasn't getting a paycheck. I wasn't getting a paycheck till we got some things fixed and turned around. The first thing you did is you you use your relationships. You got the line of credit to to pay your people, to pay the purveyors, and what was the next step after that? I mean, I think the, the approach we're going to take today is how to uh, take over a failing business when you guys, okay. when you absorbed it, right? It was kind of not moving in the right direction. Right. And then you, you, you took it and you, and you pivoted it. You, well, you so I had to it. treat it like a business. Do you know what I mean? There yeah. was business decisions. So, so paint um, that picture of what it was like financially. You kind of painted the picture of what the operation was before you got here. But where were things and how, where was it and how did you So at the end of our things? first year, we lost almost $200,000. Wow. So it was a huge chunk of change in addition to paying. Is that the, what the, the cost of the business was when you purchased it? Or is that how no, much? No, that did not include the cost of Jeez. the purchase. That was, that was what we lost just trying to carry the business forward from where it was, not knowing yep. anything about it. Um, and so it was going back and it was just meeting people and telling people, you know, I'm cutting the bleeding. We're stopping this. You so are that's not, the first step. Yeah, you are not taking advantage of this anymore. I need to know who you are, why you are making this choice for my company, and I'm going to be involved, and I've got to learn about it. So it was just, it was take, it was a little overwhelming, honestly, because I had the wholesale, the retail, and the restaurant. I didn't know enough about fish. I didn't know what a bad fish looked like when it came in, or if a fisherman had had it soaking in water so it weighed an extra pound. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so now I'm paying for an extra pound of fish and I've got to pass it on to other people and now I can't compete. So I had, I had so much to learn. I didn't know what a yield of a fish was supposed to be, you know, so it's it was like drinking just, from a fire hose. Oh, right? it was just, yeah. And I was just every day and just, I could spend 12, 14 hours a day here. And I did, that's what I did. That's what it took. I'm sure those days went by so fast. Oh, they went just... by so incredibly fast, but every day I went home, I slept really great. <laughs> I bet. Um, and that was one of the, I think my biggest blessings too of this business. I don't worry about it when I go home, I'm able to turn it off. Um, because I know I gave 110% all day, every day. Do you mm. know what I mean? And so when you get home and you can get a good night's sleep and you can start over the next day and say, bring it on, you know what I mean? And what you think about is what you bring about and you get it through. It just all works. Yeah. So the picture was really just trying to meet people, market ourselves, and turn it around and treat it like a business. So um, we incorporated um, and I reached out. You know, what was what do you the mean best you thing to do? So, it had all, it, the company had been just um, 
run like on a personal tax return. So it wasn't incorporated. So we actually became, you know, I filed all the paperwork with the state of Texas. That blows my mind that you were in business or the, the, this was a business for 70 years before it became a entity, a business entity. Right. That's Can you believe that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of paints a picture of, of what you're up against. Right. To, well, exactly. And yeah. where you had to go from there. And so I just, you know, if you saw it as a business, it was a business, you treat it like a business and you had to answer to it like a business, then all of a sudden you have a business, right? Yeah. So it sounds like the first thing you did, uh, the first step when taking over a business and trying to uh, pivot the business and reaccelerate the business is to look at where the bleeding is. Uh, don't focus on getting cash in, focus on where the cash is going out. Yeah. And, 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 and block that. So what were the areas you looked to first? Uh, what were some of the examples of the areas? Oh, where like, you for example, this, I mean, some of the stories you just couldn't even believe. So we had a food service company that the restaurant was buying um, just the basic goods from. And so the sales rep was the one that came in here and placed the order. Okay. He was at free liberty to order whatever he wanted at whatever price. And nobody looked Jeez. at an invoice. He was taking so full advantage of the company. It was unbelievable. So I got two or three other people to come in, got bids from them, you know what I mean? And just figured out where we could stop the bleeding. We were eating on, um, the customers were eating on oval Chinette paper plates. So a package of, I don't know, a hundred, maybe 200 was like $90. They wow. were 50 cents to a dollar a plate. So you just... A just plate, throwing money away. Throwing it literally away. Where we're sitting right now and here used to be a CVS pharmacy. And so when they ran out of sodas for the restaurant, they would come here to CVS and they would buy them out of their cooler. Oh and they gosh. would take them back and they sold them for 20 cents less than Ugh. what they paid for them. Oh, my goodness. So it was just really, I mean, it was just bad business practice that was going on and very simple things and very easy things to fix. You know, just putting in a fountain machine and doing things that just hadn't been done. And I don't know if it wasn't the focus or just, I don't know. I don't know what it was. In my mind, like, you know nothing. At this point, you know a ton about the the seafood business now. But at this point, you knew nothing about the seafood business. You don't, like, all these, like, little details that you're pointing out, like, uh, the little tricks of the trade that you had that just were not on your radar. So you had all that to worry about. Plus trying to like go through and figure out where the, the status of this business was not like the seafood topics aside, like the whole business yes. thing going on. Yes. Like you must've been so overwhelmed. Uh, take us through how, what, what that feeling was like and what, what mentality that you had to have to overcome that, that, that uh, just complete, I, I'm overwhelmed thinking about it. <laughs> I would just say ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I yeah. didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know what I needed to know. Do you know what I mean? So it was kind of just a stumbling block of trying to figure it out um, one step at a time. And really, even having not gone to school in the culinary world, it's all pretty logical. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just break Business is business. Business is business. Yeah. And you just break it down. You know, you've just got, you've got to have a good product with a good reputation, someone that will buy what you are selling, make sure you're selling something that they can use (laughs) and that they can make a profit on, right? And build that relationship. And make sure that you're following all the guidelines so that everything that you're selling is safe and um, that you can reproduce it. 
So after you stopped the bleeding, what was the next uh, priority for you? What was the, the thing that you did after that? Where did you redirect your attention? Expanding the restaurant. Okay. Changing um, the restaurant just a little bit. So Paul and I really worked hard at um, what would be the next step. And we, I walked out into the dining room one day, and there were nothing but men in the dining room eating fried food. And I just thought to myself, we've got to get women. We've got to get families in here. We've got to get... What was that your thought? Why did you think that was the solution? Um, well, women don't go into restaurants typically to just eat fried food. Mm-hmm. So we had to change the menu. And I think just to broaden the scope, um, people came in to shop and they had family history. Why weren't they bringing their whole family here to eat in the mm. restaurant? You know, why weren't we creating other memories and educating? Because that was the other big thing in my mind was educating not only a lot of chefs that were up and coming that hadn't gone to culinary school. They didn't know enough about seafood at that time still. You know, we were just starting to really embrace all of the culinary growth in the United States of America. You know, just in its nationwide, obviously. So why is that that element of education so important when you're trying to transform? Because what people don't know, they have an opinion about sometimes. And it's not always a great opinion. I'll give you an example. After um, the oil spill, the BP oil spill, I was doing a shrimp showing at one of the grocery stores that buys some shrimp from us. And I went over there and a customer of theirs walked up and he said, I will never, ever eat any seafood out of our Gulf again. And I said, really, why? I mean, we're eating Texas shrimp. All of the reports have said Texas shrimp has not been affected at all by this oil spill. And do you know that Mother Nature creates oil spills on her own? Their seafood has been affected by oil spills in every single ocean. Yeah. I mean, it just has. So his ignorance or uneducation. I don't want to talk bad about anybody yeah. like that, but you know what I mean? Him not knowing really the true facts or taking the time. We hear just the blurps, the little taglines that the news people are feeding us. And so it's not always accurate, you mm. know? And so I wanted to help educate people on healthy eating, seafood, um, just everything I knew, everything that I learned. Cause I think that's what we're challenged with in life is to yeah. share what we know. Right. I mean, that's a, uh- this educational piece that you're talking about is a real issue for even just like the, the farm to table movement of people being like, why is this a, a $16 burger or $18 burger? I don't understand why this burger is so expensive well, because that's what real food costs. Right. So everybody's kind of going through this, this whole period thing of like, we need to increase our prices because the, the labor shortage, like these are all the reasons why we have to do these things. So education is a huge piece. So how do you, how do you have that educational moment? Like, how did you edge? How did you go about educating people? So back in those days, the internet was still fairly new. So we did a newsletter. So we did a printed newsletter. I did one for the employees here because it was really equally important for me for them to be educated because I can't talk to everyone that walks in the door. So really spend some time educating the employees as much as we possibly could. And then also the customer base and just being a part of it. So like doing samples um, out of the retail case and letting them try fish that came from other places and how to cook it and recipe cards and, you know, just all the simple things. And then um, October is National Seafood Month. And so as the internet 
and people reading their emails and stuff, and we moved solely to a newsletter that wasn't mailed out or just taken off the counter, um, moved October Seafood Month, and I do a every day something that's informational that I send out. And then everyone who either opens it, I don't know if they read them all, but if they open it and read it, then they go into a drawing, and every day I give away something um, if we talk about scallops, they can come in and have a free scallop dinner here. So okay. I try to motivate, you know, that education that way. So just to summarize, after stopping the bleeding, you decided to focus on the restaurant. You saw that there was too much focus on just fried food and you wanted to make it more healthy. Your solution to that was education. And you started with just using your email list. Yeah. Uh, how did you build up that email list with any secrets? So, there? yeah. So no, we just on the retail counter, we talked to people, let them know that we had an email, um, newsletter that was going out and ask people just ask, mm-hmm. you know, they'll tell you yes or no if they want to be on it. So it's a real pretty simple thing. I think, you know, we just have to learn to ask sometimes not be afraid of no. Okay. So, uh, Take us through that that evolution of the restaurant. And how so the restaurant that I opened, um, I decided we needed a grill. Okay. So I met with some restaurant friends that had a little restaurant in College Station, um, and they did a taco bar. And so they walked me through what they were doing in College Station. And so they said, pick two or three proteins, add three or four sauces, a couple kinds of tortillas, and you... It'll take off. You'll have a million different ways that people can get, and it's very personalized then. Yeah. So we did a Taco Tuesday. So we started doing $2 fish tacos and $2 draft beers, and we changed kind of the um, demographic of the restaurant. So we had younger families that were coming in and kids from UT, college students and stuff that would come in because it was within their budget then. And then we had senior citizens that would come in that were on a fixed income. So we watched that demographics just change and kind of grow from all over the city of Austin. So you made Um, it affordable. So you educated, you made it affordable. Uh, You made it uh, approachable. Uh, What else did you do that you think made it work? I think being all accepting do you know what I mean just I think by diversifying that and um not trying to just serve one I don't know socioeconomic you know group of people but really just opening the door so we have a little bit of something for almost everybody here I think it might help a little bit too if we we kind of paint the picture so um this was just a market with like a bar with the fried food like, or how many, how big was the restaurant? At that so point? the restaurant retail and wholesale department was 8,000 square feet. So please remember we had probably of that in refrigeration, freezer, as I say, production, production, you know, the front of the house was probably less than 3000 square feet. Okay. So that included the retail counter. So, so the, the restaurant, space. Well, I know people can't see this right here, but the restaurant, it literally had three fry grills, one little pizza prep table. You had pizza? No, but it was a little pizza prep table is what it is, where they can hold the fish and everything, where they can hold the cold goods. And then the front of the line, and then we had a case, and we had shrimp salad, um, tuna salad, and a um, crab salad. And so you could order that and we'd put it in a bowl for you when i first got here i'm not kidding so the restaurant is one end and the retail was on the other end and they didn't even have a credit card machine so if somebody came in here to pay with a credit card in 2004 wow 
2004. That just blows my mind. <laughs> we would run from one end of the restaurant down to the retail counter to swipe the credit card. That's silly. We were taking orders still on handwritten pads. No inventory, <laughs> no, just Where no checks and balances. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of funny to think where we, I had to learn about, you know, inventory systems and everything else. Yeah. Just crazy. So you, anyway. you painted that picture for us of what it looked like, a little bit of retail, a couple of fry letters, and maybe was it a bar, a couple of tables? We didn't have a bar. Um, we didn't sell any um, beer or wine at the time. So we, in 2007, got our beer and wine license. So we have a dual license so you can buy a six pack and take it out um, from the market. So no, we just had, I don't know, maybe we had 60 chairs in the whole place. Um, so now paint a picture as to what this the the restaurant is today. So today like- we have sixteen thousand square feet. Yeah. Um, I have a freezer that is two twenty two hundred square feet. Wow, that's as big as my house. <laughs> twenty two hundred square feet. I have a cooler. It's a dual cooler, um, and the total square footage of that is seventeen hundred square feet. And then the rest of it is all restaurant. And, and the restaurant and, you're doing, you got the oyster bar, you've got the full bar, you've got, just, I'll let you kind of. Yeah, so we have the bar. We just still sell beer and wine. I didn't want it to become a bar bar. I, I wanted a place where families could still come and it wasn't just a bunch of regulars sitting at the bar. You know what I mean? And we have a lot of regulars sitting yeah. at the bar, but they all like wine, I guess. <laughs> but um, so we have the, the bar there and then we have an oyster grill. So we do grilled oysters. Um, we have like happy hour from four to six dollar grilled oyster or dollar oysters and then 25 cent pill in each shrimp. So we, you know, we've just got something for everybody here. We've got a full, beautiful restaurant, a full menu that we do grilled items, blackened items now, um, soup. We have daily soups every day four soups, sandwiches. We do pasta on Wednesdays. We do bouillabaisse <laughs> on um, so I just Fridays, want to paint the lobsters on Saturdays. I don't think we're doing the story justice because we're talking about the things that you had going on then. Uh, but I want to paint the picture of the then and now, right, and how much you've scaled. And we're on, we haven't even brought up the food truck. You, you're at the farmer's markets again, back to your roots, right? Yeah. And uh, there's so many catering. There's so many appendages that you've added to this business. Uh, and I kind of want to break that down in the time that we have left to, kind okay. of, to, to find out uh, how you prioritize what came first, uh, the big lessons you've learned along the way that you can share with us, uh, anything like that. So um, I think when we left off, you had made the decision to start educating people. That was kind of the first step. Um, the other thing that I, I, I'm curious about, I mean, you you also had access to this incredible abundance of seafood. And you're not showcasing your product, right, in the restaurant. To me, it's a no-brainer. Like, show, use your restaurant to show people what you got. Right. And then, then sell it to them afterwards, right? right? Was that going through your mind? Oh, yeah. So, like, well, when we bought this place, we had probably about $8,000 worth of king crab legs. Wow. And they were all the broken pieces. So on the retail department, they would sell people just the big pieces because nobody wanted to take the little pieces home. So I was like, oh, my gosh, this is... What were they doing with the little pieces? They were all just sitting in the freezer. Oh, my goodness. So I I started crab night on Monday night. So we hired a band. We do a crab night on Monday night. So it was connecting with multiple avenues of people where they were getting a real value for their king crab legs and an event because I think when people Mm. eat food with their hands... There's just something about breaking bread together that way. Yeah, you know? so you're also doing programming on top of the, all this, events, experiences, and dive into oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Well, I love it all. I mean, so just creating things, you know, that I think sometimes people want to be a part of what you're doing, do you know? And so when you include them along in the ride, 
then they, they are part of the success of your story too. And so they want to be a part of the story. And you know, customers want to know what you're doing. Somehow when you own a business, I think people think that you're just wealthy, mm. that you're successful because you own a business. And it's really not that simple. <laughs> we look calm and collected above the water like a duck sitting on the water. But below exactly. water, our feet our are moving. Our feet are moving like crazy. <laughs> and so you always want to give the appearance of success. You know what I mean? Because I think what you think about is what you bring about. What you act out is what will happen to mm-hmm. you. But you also have to be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah. And so I was always willing to take a risk. You know, yeah. um, you're not going to succeed at everything. I failed at plenty of things. Trust mm. me. There's been a lot of things that just didn't fly the way that I wanted to, the way that I wanted them to, the day, the way that I wanted them to. Pick one of those failures real quick and get, get into it. Get, and I won't it. call it a failure, but a learning lesson, okay? okay? Um, food truck. Everybody was doing food trucks in Austin. I was like, well, no one could do a seafood truck the way I could do a seafood truck. So I had a food truck built. It is self-contained. It can <laughs> boil. It can grill. It can fry. It can bake. It can do anything that you want it to do. And it's on wheels. But my big magical thing that I wanted to do was seafood for breakfast. I love shrimp migas, you know, bagels and lox, the whole thing. I just want just really to start educating about really the importance of seafood and breakfast and how healthy it was. So the truck was finally done, you know, four months of just fighting with the guy that built it. And finally the truck is done. I get everything. We're ready to roll. You know, we are permitted. We're ready to roll and we're going to roll out eggs. And I've got this menu and we're going to put it in the front parking lot. I'll be darned if the price of eggs after this some chicken flu, the eggs cost more than the salmon did. <laughs> I couldn't sell a taco to save my life, Amiga's taco. <laughs> so we didn't do really well in that. And so the truck moved on and has done many other successful things. So What was the lesson there? You know, just the lesson is... Be flexible. Be able to change. Um, if plan A doesn't work, you better have a plan B. Mm, I love it. And one other thing I kind of want to dive into, what I think that's really interesting, is when you first got here, the, the order of operation was to stop the bleeding, to, to close the hemorrhaging, to look at your liabilities, right? And then, obviously, you started, once you took care of that and the bleeding stopped and you had control of everything, you started asking yourself, okay, how can I get more cash flow in? How many channels of revenue did you have when you first came here? So we just had wholesale retail in the restaurant. So three so channels three, of revenue. Three channels, but that's how a many, lot. That is a lot. How many channels of revenue do you have now? So... Probably six. Six. So how? Doubled it. So I'm assuming that you focus on the, the channels that you had. You improve those channels. How, what did improving those channels look like? And then we'll get into like how you started getting creative to add more channels of revenue. Well, you know, just continuing to grow, doing the right thing, educating, bringing in more products. Um, improving every day. Improving every day. Just every day. You know, and I think more than anything, just trying to have fun at it. Mm. You know, it was fun. I can look back on probably my third year here. And it was Good Friday during Lent, which is one of our busiest seafood days through the restaurant, retail, and all the restaurants in town are selling fish like crazy, you know, on Good Friday. And I ordered chicken for everybody. We were not eating fish here in the restaurant. I am Catholic, and we did eat chicken that day. (laughs) I ordered chicken, and I'm standing over a trash barrel. And this trash barrel is full of salmon heads. And I'm eating a chicken leg literally over this trash barrel and I looked down and I thought wow my life has really changed there was a day this would have been the grossest thing on earth and I would have never ever seen myself even wanting to look 
at a salmon head. Do you know what I mean? A fish disassembled. And I thought, you know what? We're going to make it. We're going to be okay. And it really became fun after that because we did a ton of business that day, but it wasn't about the dollars. It was about the lives we touched, the food that was sent to people, the great chefs were going to be creating great meals that people work hard for that money. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they go and they, they're letting someone create a huge, wonderful meal for them. And they see the value of paying for it. And the chefs see the value of how we prepare the fish or cut the fish or deliver it or the relationship we have or they know the quality of it's great. And those lives were all touched. And lives, I don't even know who they are. You know what I mean? But they had an experience with someone. People who came in the retail department and they left here and they went home to cook for a husband or wife or a mother or a father or their child or whatever. And, you know, they sat and they talked about their day Mm. over that piece of fish. You know what I mean? And then I looked at the line that night way out the door of the restaurant and people coming in here when they had other choices of where they could go spend their hard-earned money and just the gratefulness Mm. of... I, I, it was it was an epiphany day. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. one of those days, and it just has resounded with me so my how, whole time. How have you been different after that day? Do you know I don't know that I've ever really changed from that day. Yeah. Which is I a mean, good thing because that was a good place to be. It's You know, we've had great years where the, the money was great. And it was easy flowing, and I built a food truck. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's other years that it hasn't been so easy, and we've seen the changes of – Eating habits, the traffic in Austin. You know, we've lost our six o'clock turn in restaurants here. So we've we've watched sales change and drop over the last couple years. Um, Just the way people buy food, eat food, share food, Um, and I think the onset of the internet and how much we spend time um, with picture taking. Yeah, Yeah. and we we don't do some of the things we used to do. Meal wise, and some of it really is just traffic here in Austin, Texas. But some of it's just it's the changing of a society, and so just trying to keep up with that and learn. I'd say my biggest challenge now is I'm nearing my sixties, and it's there's a generation of folks that um, I'm become further apart from, but still have their best interest um, and would like to still create and be passionate. And educate them mm-hmm. on on what we do here and how great seafood is for them. So, what about the channels of revenue? Did you did you? Uh, I think that's kind of where we left off, right? So, how does this tie into uh, how you started looking at other? Was it the energy, the, the 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 change of perspective, that kind of that that positive outlook that you had that day on that kind of made you look at like? How Actually, did you- do you know it was probably more people asking me. Um, Carol, I'm having a birthday party. Okay. Would you come over and help me cook? Okay. So you're like, this yeah, is an sure. To add catering. Yeah. <laughs> so we can add catering. Yeah. Or, um, you know, so we sold crawfish. Crawfish is a huge thing. And so we do a ton of crawfish boils. So really learning how to do that, coming up with a great recipe. And there was a gentleman that owned, um, he had a crawfish boiling company and he bought his crawfish from us through our wholesale department and he was ready to retire. And he said, I can't think of anybody else I'd rather teach what I do 
and I don't want a dime for my business. I'll give you the whole book of my business. I just want you to pay for the equipment. Mm. So I wrote him a check for $1,800, and now all of a sudden I was in the crawfish boiling business <laughs> and have expanded that tremendously, and it's a huge revenue. But so it's, that's one of the, the six new revenues. So you, you added, so you had the three channels, catering, wholesale, retail. Well, retail, restaurant, oh, sorry, wholesale, restaurant. and, and so then, then catering. catering. So catering kind of added on. And then when, we, when I was able to buy the building here and we added this party room, yeah. um, we added cooking classes and private events. How does that help business? Do you know, um, I do a lot of the cooking classes myself and I try to keep them small and intimate and I get to know, usually it's one or two people that are regulars or customers here that want to come to the class, but they bring a friend that has never mm-hmm. maybe been here, a coworker that's been here 10 years ago. And so it's really um, continuing to build relationships yes. one at a time yes. and just making those friends. And people want to be a part of things. I've said that a couple of times today. You know, they want to be a part of it. And so when they feel like they're a part of something and they know and they learn something, then they share it. It's not just a transaction. No. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people, they get so focused on the transactions, the bottom line, making money more and more and more, they lose sight of what really matters, which is the relationship. And you can't, you can only have strong relationships with so many people, right? Right, So uh, it's not about getting more customers. It's about retaining and going deeper with the ones you have. Absolutely. For you. Absolutely. And just the repeat business, you know what I mean? Because they're family things. That's, you know, being 80 years old now, 81 next January, I want to see this go. You say you're 80 years old? No, the company. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, what? I need to eat more seafood. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> no, but I'm almost 60. Okay, great for 60 too. Um, sorry, keep but going. Just, but just, I want to, I feel like I want to make sure that this goes on for a long time. And so I feel very responsible for that, for as a part of Austin, a part of the legacy. And it's, it's harder and harder um, in our day and age, especially in Austin, as we've grown so much and we're starting to see, it's keep Austin weird and everything's local, but we're also seeing so many large companies come in. Um, I don't know. It's, you know, you just got to do something you love and maybe sometimes it's not something that you start out loving, (laughs) Yeah, but but you can grow to love. The big things I'm getting from you in this conversation, obviously is the relationships and the optimism too, and choosing to be, optimistic and to stay positive uh i wonder how many of these opportunities you would miss if you weren't happy if you weren't optimistic and you you didn't you weren't open to the the possibilities uh you know if you're closed off and just miserable like would you have seen these different verticals i wonder i don't know how you could yeah i don't know how you could so i think that's something that's worth sometimes things just present themselves to you do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and you just gotta open your eyes and look and yeah, you've got to, I mean, there are things I say no to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to, um, I can't do it all, but I have to pick and choose what that is. Mm. So what, anything that you can leave us with any final thoughts, any pearls of wisdom, anything that you want to get out before we go to the speed round, uh, to make us better. I think one thing that I'm proud of with quality seafood, um, when early on, didn't have any money for marketing. I mean, we lost $200,000 and, you know, marketing is one of the things that you think you've got to cut out. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause it costs the most. And so I had to really come up with a good marketing plan on my own. And we came up with a plan of giving back in the community. Mm-hmm. And so when people would call and ask for a donation for something, 
you know, we were happy to do it. And that helped spread our name. And so instead of running, you know, a $6,000 ad in the newspaper, I could give a lot of $100 gift cards or $25 gift cards to causes. And then those people would come in and use that card. Mm. And so to be able to give back in the community um, and the community's given back to us. So I think it's a mutual thing. You know, when we're um, taking care of Austin and the people here in Austin, they're going to take care of us too yeah. when we keep it here. That's a big lesson I picked up doing this podcast is when you do, when people do come to you asking for money, don't just give them money. Give them the product. Uh, donate the product because that's marketing. When you just give money and you're tying your name to money, right. it doesn't have the same effect as donating 100 sandwiches or donating a $100 gift card to come in and to experience what we, we got, right. uh, which is a huge lesson. Don't just give the money. Give the experience, yeah. right? Bring yeah. people in. Yeah. Use that yeah. as an opportunity to bring yeah. people in. Yeah. Any other nuggets you want to drop on us? I really don't have a lot of nuggets. You, know, you, know, you, just, you have had no, great I think nuggets today. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm. Um I know that's one thing I really have done with all of our employees. They, they are the owners of this company. I own the company, but they are the owners. They are the, um, the bearers of the business, you know? And so they run it and they, to have them have pride and ownership of what they do, be excited. And I think we we're so fortunate here. I mean, I have people that have been here. I have a driver. He's, 79 years old. He's on his way to the coast today. He started here at Quality Seafood when he was 20 years old. And he stayed with me. When I started here, we had 12 employees, including myself. And to this day, I still have six of them. Wow. Three have passed away and the other three have retired. So um, that's, I that's think that statement. says a lot, yeah. right? And I have a lot of people that have been here a long time. And so to have kept those people... Um, a woman coming into the seafood world, not knowing anything about a restaurant, never working in a restaurant, knowing it, not anything about seafood, but for them to rally around and for me to be able to learn from them and then to give back to them and to treat them the way I want to be treated. I mean, my people here get a week of paid vacation. We have a 401k plan. Um, they get 75% of their health insurance paid for. So I give a lot back to them. Um, and they give a lot back. I love it. I feel like this conversation started with the importance of relationships and it's ending with the importance of relationships. And uh, this has been a great conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with cashflowtool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. Cashflowtool.com is simple, powerful, and predictive. It's simple because it requires no data entry. It's always up to date and it works on any device, anywhere, it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar, activity feed, and anomaly detector, you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises. And it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. All right, I have a question for you. 
How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success positive positive i love it <laughs> uh, what's your biggest weakness overthinking mm. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the, during the interview process? I look not at a question. I look at how they look at me, how they respond to questions by their facial um, characteristics and their body language. I like it. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Traffic. <laughs> so <laughs> did traffic get uh, steered away from... Uh, quality seafood like what's was there like was this more no i just think just the whole city of austin in general um we've had what over the last five years 100 people a day move into this city and the surrounding area and so we just the city of austin has not kept up with the infrastructure okay and so just the traffic how has that affected your business well it's affected our business that people are on stuck on a highway you know where it used to take them 10 minutes to get home they're stuck 30 minutes and so we've we're the six o'clock dinner that people used to come in for, they're sitting on a highway somewhere. Yeah. So they're not coming in. So for restaurants and a lot of restaurants, we've lost it's, a lot of it's that It's true because I left uh, Chez-Z. Am I saying that correctly? Chez-Z, Chez-Z. Yeah. Chez-Z. I'm always afraid that I'm saying, I want to say Chez-Z. But I, I'm Chez-Z. Right. Chez-Z. <laughs> I left uh, Chez-Z yesterday after interviewing Sharon and it took me an hour to drive to South Lamar Street from yeah. Chez-Z, which yeah. is about eight miles. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And what time of day was that? Like, I think we wrapped up around four thirty. Yeah. I didn't get back and well, maybe it was five thirty. I don't know. It was during peak rush hour, but like it took me like I yeah, said. Yeah, but an so hour by the time you get back, you're not getting in yeah. your car to get back in that to go drive to have dinner. Exactly. So I can see how that would affect yeah, business. Yeah. Plus, you're in the delivery business too, which must be well. Luckily, <laughs> most all the restaurants want their stuff early in the morning, so we get here. The wholesale department gets here at like two thirty in the morning, so ah. they start cutting fish, and we're on the road with deliveries by nine o'clock in the morning. So they're done by noon every day. Got you. Share one code of conduct or behavior you've teach your team. It's a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. I love it. What is one uncommon standard of service you've taught your team within the restaurant? A way to go above and beyond. It's common within your four walls, not common within the rest of the industry. I 
don't know that it's not common anywhere in the industry, but it's always to greet people with a smile and what can I do to help? And I think that should be standard everywhere. I don't know if it is, but, you know, what I can I do to help you? I think everybody wants it to be standard, yes. but we lose yes. track of the standards yes. sometimes yes. we drift. Yes. Uh, what is one book that's going to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? A book? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, could, I couldn't tell you the name of it, but it's the cutest little book. It's about a bagger. Um, I'll have to find the name. Can I have a cut and get that one? Yeah, you can. I'll wait. <laughs> okay. You want to hold on? Yeah, I'll wait. Take it's your time. Like the simple truth or something. The simple truth of service. What's the biggest lesson from that book? Just going, doing the and then some, making somebody feel good. You know, looking at somebody's forehead and just saying, make me feel important. I love it. And what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Sometimes we get caught up in our egos of who we are because people um, are always in awe. Chefs and um, restaurant owners have become kind of celebrity, I think, as of late. And I think we just have to get back to being the core of We've who we are. We've lost sight of it all, the purpose of it all, right? Yeah. I believe you with, with that statement or agree with you in that statement. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within the four walls of your operation that's had a huge impact on like efficiency, communication, profitability, things of those nature. Google Docs. Google Docs. How are you <laughs> leveraging Google Docs? Well, just with the different departments and purchasing of fish, um, letting people know what the inventory is so they can check in real time. You know, when we pull stuff okay. out, we can use it. That's so. interesting. I haven't even thought about that application. So a lot of people are using Google Docs. So all their team members have access to that same file. But you're using it so all of your customers and clients can well, see. Well, not all of our clients, but all of our all of our employees here okay. know what we have, so that when oh, people okay. are calling and say, "I need to order fifty pounds of mahi mahi," I can say, "Oh, we're we're not going to have enough." You know what I mean? It's moved out, so it does help our customer base, but it's it's just for our core employees. Got you. Cool. Yeah. Uh, this is the last question. It's a okay. doozy. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success that you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Those three things you know to be true. Keep caring. Keep caring. Be honest. Be honest. And make other people feel special. And make other people feel special. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much, Carol, for taking Thank the time. Thank you. Oh, it's been a I pleasure. I love your energy. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> I appreciate that. You were awesome. You really were. And we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody else. So who is one person in Austin or maybe San Antonio or, or Houston that you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? So Jack Gilmore. Jack Gilmore. Owner of Jack Allen's and um, the Salt Traders, he—I've known him a long time in the restaurant industry, and he is truly an inspiration um, in what he gives back in the community, how he treats his employees, his people, his family. And he's just an amazing person. Jack, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Uh, and let the folks at home know, how can we uh, follow your work? Maybe social handles or a website, a way we can connect. Maybe we want to come join your team. Um, QualitySeafoodMarket.com. I should know all the other ones, but I don't. So um, I'll get that to you. <laughs> this is episode 571. Head over to RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash 571. I'll have a summary of today's discussion over there, plus a link to any tool services recommended and 
how to connect with Carol and Quality Seafood. The links will be in the show notes. Again, Carol Huntsberger, thank you so much for taking the time. There is no questioning, my girl. You are unstoppable. Well, you're unstoppable, too. Thanks. Cheers. (laughs) Thanks. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value in that conversation. I know I did. I think the big takeaways in this conversation is that this industry is really about relationships. And that's what she figured out really early on in her career or as a restaurateur or when she was a restaurant owner. She just got in there. She started talking to people. She started learning. And just stay open. Just stay optimistic. And just just think positively and you will attract positive things onto your life. And uh, I think the other really big takeaway from today's conversations is when you're taking over a failing business, if that if that's a scenario that you, you found yourself in, start with plugging the hole. Stop the bleeding, right? Uh, figure out where the money is going. Get control over the cash flow. And I think that that is a great place to start. And I think I also really enjoyed the conversation uh, or the, the advice around uh, – just say yes and if you're donating don't donate cash don't donate the product donate the experience use that opportunity to bring people into your restaurant another great piece of advice there so awesome stuff today like always guys i gotta remind you please reach out to me eric at restaurantstoppable.com tell me who you want to hear from tell me how i can best serve you keep those five-star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio coming they really help validate my hard work uh you can sign up for the email list now head over to restaurantstoppable.com uh scroll down to the bottom of most pages you'll see the sign up form there or just hang out long enough and you'll you'll see the pop-up but what you will you'll get from signing up for the email list is an update of what's going on in my mind you'll get all the previous week's uh, episodes i'll be sending out those emails once a week and it's just a way to kind of get closer to what i'm trying to do here at restaurant unstoppable to really kind of be a part of the, the story i'm telling and also to weigh in to to share your opinions uh to, to join the conversation so please sign up i love hearing from you guys and i love uh interacting with you guys and then uh lastly the best way to to be a part of what i'm doing here at restaurant unstoppable to be a part of the mission is by sharing this content if you found value or if you enjoyed a conversation share the sucker i I need help guys i need help spreading the word i want to keep this thing free uh so help me do that by spreading the word and by uh you know helping me transform this industry all right that's it for today thank you so much for sticking around this long i love you all until next time Peace out.